This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Now I've heard there was a secret chord. This Tuesday, Leonard Cohen will perform at Toronto's Air Canada Centre. He's been at center stage since the 1960s as a writer, poet, and troubadour. And yet there always seems to be a shroud of mystery surrounding the man. Acclaimed music journalist Sylvie Simmons is the author of I'm Your Man, The Life of Leonard Cohen. And today she'll tell me a few of the things she discovered when she dug into the history of one of Canada's greatest artists. If you were downtown this past Friday, you may have noticed that Toronto City Hall and the CN Tower were both lit up in a majestic shade of purple. It was to raise awareness for pancreatic cancer, one of the most underfunded cancers as well as the deadliest. For years, the treatment of the disease has been stalled, but now doctors and researchers are looking for volunteers to test a new drug cocktail, Fulfirinox, that might lead to the breakthrough they're hoping for. Dr. Alice Way will be here to tell us all about it. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Dr. Joseph Murray, an American pioneer of organ transplants, passed away this week at the age of 93. In 1954, Dr. Murray performed the first successful kidney transplant. It was between identical twins. His work paved the way for thousands of successful human organ transplants. Much of what he learned came from his experience treating soldiers during World War II. While performing skin grafts on troops, he realized the biggest obstacle was the immune system's rejection of foreign tissue. In 1962, he completed the first successful organ transplant from an unrelated donor. And in 1990, he received the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine. He passed away at the same Boston hospital where he performed his groundbreaking surgeries. How long did you wait last time you went to a hospital emergency room? A new report says Canadians wait longer for attention in ER than people in any of the other 11 developed countries that were surveyed. An international survey by the Canadian Institute for Health Information says 1 in 10 people seeking emergency care here will wait 8 hours or more, while the average length of an ER visit in this country is more than 4 hours. The report says part of the problem is lack of access to family doctors and specialists. When it comes to staying out of the hospital, we all know that exercise can play an important role. And it turns out that walking some extra steps each day might make a world of difference. A new study finds that walking 6,000 or more steps a day can reduce a woman's chance of diabetes and metabolic syndrome, the name for a group of poor health symptoms that increase the risk for heart disease and stroke. 
The study comes out of Brazil, where researchers recorded the number of daily steps taken by almost 300 women aged 45 to 72 and analyzed their health problems. The full results are published in the Journal of the North American Menopause Society. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. At 78, his career is going stronger than ever. He's a poet, a songwriter, and a singer, albeit a singer known for a less-than-musical voice. As an artist, Leonard Cohen defies description. As a man, he is something of an enigma. Just in time for his concert at the Air Canada Centre next week, I had a revealing conversation with Sylvie Simmons, the author of the new Cohen biography, I'm Your Man. There are certain problems that come with writing about somebody who's living and still working in that you're really, really being incredibly nosy, but beyond nosy, you're doing partly a kind of detective work. In some ways, writing a biography is is like being a detective novel, but without the corpse to have to look for, thankfully. But also, you're just trying to immerse yourself into experiencing everything they did to try and work out the motivation for the next part of their life. So I really did run around the world and try to check out all these different places where Leonard had been and just to try and get to the heart and soul of him, you know, get behind the mystery of him a little. Well, of course, the central dichotomy of his career is that he's both a writer, a poet, and a novelist, and also a troubadour. And he probably became more famous as a troubadour, but he's a troubadour that most people say, well, actually, he doesn't have such a great singing voice. How do you see all that? I went up to Montreal in winter. I thought that's the best time to go and see it, right? to see what it was like to live there. I was born there. there. I agree. And I went to the synagogue that Lena's great-grandfather founded and that his grandfather had been president of, and their oil painters are still up there in, on the synagogue walls. And um, the woman who was, uh, I guess, in charge of the synagogue asked me if I wanted to meet the old rabbi. I said, yes, of course I want to meet the old rabbi. It was the rabbi who had taught Lena's bar mitzvah class. Oh. So this gives you an idea. Lena's 78. And I said, uh, did Leonard sing in the synagogue? And he looked at me. You can't see this isn't visual, but it's like this peering at me, like, what kind of question are you answering there? And he put his hands up and he said, Leonard, sing? So, <laughs> yeah, I think that right across the board that has been happening. <laughs> Again, how do you or how does he see that himself? Well, one of the things that you mentioned actually was interesting that he was a poet, a novelist, and then also a troubadour. He never saw any difference and still doesn't see a difference between word and music. It was very, very interesting. One of the first things, his first experience of poetry that really meant something to him was when he was 15 years old and he encountered um, the selected poems of Lorca. He said that the hair sore stood up on his neck and arms, and he said... When he read it, it was like hearing the music of the synagogue. So it's almost like a form of synesthesia that the words and the music were fused. You know, obviously the synagogue had a very, very huge effect on his life. He knew that he came from a family that had some status in the Jewish community. And so it was very important to him, but also the Christian church and its imagery too. I think that may have had something to do with where he was born and raised. So you had a, a neighborhood which had, you know, a church on one corner and a synagogue on the other and a cross on the hill. And Leonard seemed to very gladly fuse all those together in different ways and follow other spiritual paths in his life. All the sisters of mercy, they are 
things that we know him for is as a, a seeker, uh, always on a spiritual quest, and uh, he's a committed Buddhist as well as being a Jew, and also he's tried all kinds of drugs, and he's tried other things. He's tried Scientology in the past. Uh, tell me a bit about that. I think he was also looking not for another god, because he was looking for a discipline. Leonard Cohen seems one of the most disciplined people I've ever met. And I think that one of his attractions to Buddhism, particularly to Renzai Zen, as he said it was the marines of the Buddhist world, was that there was this really, really strict regimen which in some way might help him cope with depression. He wasn't disciplined when it comes to women. That's the other thing we know him for. <laughs> he was consistent, though. Yes, definitely. Consistently inconsistent, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell me about... First of all, the importance of women and sex and the influence of some of the key women in his life. You have to remember that Leonard was raised by a mother and a sister. His father died when he was nine years old. And so from an early age, he relied on the support of women and got the absolute adoration of these two women, especially from his mother. And he's loved women, not just horizontally, but vertically in all angles in between. His first manager was a woman, and the first person to sing his songs and to present him to the world and champion him was a woman, Judy Collins. Suzanne takes you down to a place by the river. You can hear the boats go by. You can spend the night forever, and you know that she's half He loves women. He just loves being around women. If you've been around him, you'll know that. His eyes light up, he's more focused, he's very, very much a ladies' man. One of the things that I find amazing and that we here at Zoomer Media would really focus on was his comeback at a very advanced age. And of course, it, it was sparked by an event that was not so pleasant. His manager of many years and his lover betrayed him and stole basically his retirement money and he had to go back out on tour he had to start producing again I'm trying to remember he was what 73 73, at the time 73 it's a kind of strange thing it is almost a Judas thing because I mean she betrayed him but at the same time as a result of that you know Leonard came back into glory in some kind of strange way he never seemed bitter about that No, I think it was, the only part of that that seemed to bother him was it seemed that he was destined to death by paperwork because you can only imagine the mess that would have resulted as that. Luckily, he was saved again through a woman. His then fiancée, Angenie Thomas, had been married to a, a lawyer in the music business. And so she said, can you help him out? And this person who is now Lena's manager, Robert Corey, kind of with his legal firm, got him out of the mess and got him back on his feet and pretty much got him back on the road. It had been 15 years since Leonard had toured. It's remarkable. And he was absolutely terrified. But within a few months of that, he was headlining to 100,000 at the Glastonbury Festival in England, and everybody was in tears with joy. And it's been that way ever since, pretty much. And what does he think about that turn of events? Well, 
from what he's told me. He said the feeling of full employment for a man of his age is something. I'm Your Man, The Life of Leonard Cohen is published by McClelland and Stewart, a division of Random House. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. In just a moment, we'll return to take a look at a new drug cocktail that doctors and researchers are hoping will be the first big breakthrough in the treatment of pancreatic cancer in years. Stay with us. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. If you were looking in the direction of downtown Toronto on Friday evening, you would have noticed two landmark buildings lit up in purple. Both the CN Tower and Toronto City Hall turned violet to promote pancreatic cancer awareness. It is the most lethal cancer and there's been little progress in treating it, but now... Researchers are recruiting volunteers to test the first new promising treatment in years. I sat down with one of the lead scientists, Dr. Alice Way, in her office on Hospital Row. Dr. Alice Way, you're about to lead and to start a clinical trial of the first promising new treatment for pancreatic cancer in a very long time. Yes, we're very excited about it. The National Cancer Institute of Canada is uh, cooperating in a multinational, multi-center randomized trial that will look at the effect of a new exciting treatment for pancreas cancer called Fulfurinox and compare it to the current standard. And what we're looking to see is whether or not this will make a difference in how long patients will live and also we hope that it will cure patients with pancreas cancer. The drug was approved uh, just about a year ago but it was only approved for patients with very advanced disease that had spread. So what is the difference between that and what you're about to do? You're right that this regimen called Fulfurinox has been proven to help patients live longer when they have advanced pancreas cancer, but we don't know how effective it is at preventing cancer from coming back for patients who've already had potentially curative surgery for pancreas cancer. That's the question that we're hoping to answer with this study. It's only a small percentage of pancreatic cancer patients that actually get that surgery, right? So if you look in Ontario, about um, 1,200 patients are diagnosed yearly with pancreatic adenocarcinoma, of which about 10 um, to 20% are able to undergo surgery. Right now, what happens to them after surgery? We know that despite surgery and chemotherapy, this kind of cancer does come back in um, many patients. And so the current treatment, which is gemcitabine for most patients, is not as effective as it could be. And we're very hopeful that Fulfurinox may be able to offer patients better outcomes um, and safer outcomes for long-term survival. Now, what happened for the patients with the advanced cancer who took the drug? How much longer did they live? So we know that Fulfurinox for patients with advanced pancreas cancer was able to increase survival for patients from an average of 7 months to 11 months, and that is the most promising regimen for pancreas cancer in many years. What does it involve to enroll in a trial, in a drug trial like this? I mean, is it a matter of becoming a guinea pig? And a lot of our patients ask us that when we um, offer studies to them about what benefit they they might um, get from the study and what harms that they might incur. 
if you enroll in this study, first of all, you don't know if you're going to be getting this very promising new drug cocktail. That That's correct. Okay, so back to my question about being a, a guinea pig. Is it a matter that a patient decides, uh, I'm going to be selfless and enroll in this trial, so somebody later on will have the benefit of the result, or I'm hoping I'm going to get this maybe fabulous new treatment, and that's why I'm going to do it. Most patients have a little bit of both emotions when they enter a study. However, I would say that most patients do understand why we do the study, and there is obviously a volunteer and a, and a selfless component that they do because they understand that these questions are really important, not just for themselves, but for people in the future that are also diagnosed with pancreas cancer. What do you say about it if you're trying to get somebody to, to enroll in the study? I mean, I think the most important thing that we tell them is that this really is a, uh, this isn't something that we need to know the answer to and that we don't currently have the answer to. I think it's the most powerful reason to be involved in clinical trials. And as a researcher, that's what drives what we do, is that these questions we really don't know the answer to. We buy into the question. We buy into the study for that reason. Dr. Alice Wade, thanks so much. Thank you very much. We'll be sure to keep you up to date with any developments. In the meantime, you can do your bit to promote awareness by making your home festive with your own purple lights. Go to pancreaticcancer.ca for more information. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. It's the most wonderful It's that time of year. Christmas carols will be part of our daily lives for the next 23-odd days. But you have to admit, there are a few Christmas songs we might be able to do without. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. In just a moment, we'll return with a look at both the good, the bad, and the ugly Christmas songs. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time now for your International Arts Datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, legendary musician and producer Phil Coulter reminisces about his childhood in Northern Ireland. The 70-year-old performs a show called The Songs I Love So Well at the Irish Repertory Theatre on West 22nd Street. To London, England, where a retrospective of 20th century landscape photographer Ansel Adams is on display. The exhibition focuses on the photographer's lifelong fascination with water features. It's at the Royal Museum's Greenwich. And in Austria, Vienna honors painter Gustav Klimt with several exhibitions to celebrate his 150th birthday. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. Thanks, Jane. Well, December means that Christmas carols are now an ever-present part of life, and while many of these songs are beloved by all, there are definitely a few that just get under your skin and rub you the wrong way. It was in that spirit that we asked a few of our colleagues which Christmas song they would wipe off the face of the earth if they had a chance. Jingle bells? It's kind of annoying, right? Honky the Christmas goose. Duck, whatever. (laughs) Honky the something Christmas goose. I hate jingle bells to tell you the truth. I know this is terrible, but Silent Night, it drives me crazy. Uh, Grandma got run over by a reindeer. I'd like to kill that. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. That's the one. I have to agree with some of those, especially Grandma got run over by a reindeer. 
but we also asked the same people to name their favorite Christmas songs. And while there were some great answers, one had overwhelming support. The Christmas Song by Mel Torme. Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. Oh, The Christmas Song by Mel Torme. Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Yuletide carols being sung by a choir. And folks dressed up like Eskimos. Everybody knows a turkey and some mistletoe. Help to make the season bright Tiny tots with their eyes all aglow Will find it hard to sleep tonight They know that Santa's on his way He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh And every mother's child is gonna spy To see if reindeer really know how to fly And so I'm offering this simple phrase Kids from one to ninety-two. Although it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas to you. That was Nat King Cole singing the Christmas song, originally written by Mel Torme. It won our office vote for Christmas favorite. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks so much for being here today. Please come back next week and hear the music of Hanukkah. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing and Sun Life Financial. Produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snyder. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Vandriel. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.